got your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you find your way over about one-third of the way through uh, the New Testament, you'll hit upon uh, four letters from the Apostle Paul uh, that I, as a kid I was taught to memorize the names of those books by, remember, General Electric Power Company, GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And uh, right there in, in those four uh, chat in those four books, you'll find the book of Ephesians, a, a six-chapter letter that Paul writes to this church in the city of Ephesus to help them to understand the impact of the gospel on every part of their life. And so he spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talking about the nature of the gospel, the belief system, uh, whereas we come to understand what is the good news of Jesus Christ, what is it that His death and resurrection does for us. And then he takes chapters 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the book, to then show us how it has everyday implications in our lives. And as I have been uh, moving through this kind of short series of messages about real families today, I wanted to get to the issue of real marriage for real people. Now, if you're in the room today and you're not married, maybe you are a teenager or you are a young adult who is not married or you are a senior adult who is not married, this is still a critically important message for all of us to hear and for all of us to understand because marriage in our culture is up for grabs as to what marriage is, what is the nature of marriage. And, and there's, a, there's low-hanging fruit uh, that we can, we can cut right to the heart of about, well, you know, how are we going to define marriage legally? And, and, and so our church takes a very standard, traditional stance about what marriage is. Marriage is a, is a binding covenant between one guy, one gal for their lives. Now, there is a much deeper issue that we've got to get to, though, because legally defining marriage is one thing, but spiritually understanding the meaning of marriage from a biblical perspective is something that we can't just leave at the doorstep. We can't say, well, we got it right, like logistically, that we're talking about a lifelong commitment between a guy and a gal. But Paul cuts to the heart of what relationships are all about, about why this marriage between a guy and a gal in a covenant relationship, why it matters. This is why we can't just take our cues about marriage from sitcoms and from dramedies and from Hallmark channels. We can't take our cues of marriage from Modern Family or The Middle or any of these examples that we get from the culture. But instead, we've got to look back into what it is that God intended for marriage to be about. And so, let me begin here in Ephesians chapter 5, and in just a moment I'm going to read a longer passage, but I want to just read one verse to set up the whole thing. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, "...submitting to one another in the fear of Christ." Now, as Paul is navigating these early believers through what it looks like to have healthy relationships, he's moving them through what does it look like to have unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it look like to have unity in the church? What does it look like for you to imitate God rather than imitate the world, to be light in a very dark place? 
And then in verse 15, he kind of begins another paragraph about being very careful about how you live and about how you encourage one another and how you give thanks to God for everything. And then he says, before he then transitions to talking about then our family relationships, he says, and remember, this is about submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, in awe and in respect of Christ. So there's this foundational thought that goes into thinking about what marriage is all about because it has, it has a global effect about all of our relationships. And that is that mutual submission is the basis for all gospel-focused relationships. Mutual submission is the foundation and the basis for all gospel-focused relationships. So when we're talking about marriage, then there is a mutual submission. There is a care for one another that is foundational here. And that goes to all of your friendships and your business relationships and our relationships within the body of Christ, is that we have a mutual submission to one another because we know that Christ is the head of all things. And if we will begin with this idea that I don't have to be first, I don't have to be preeminent, I don't have to be priority. Rather, I'm going to submit because of my fear of Christ, because of my relationship with Him, because I know that He is first, He is preeminent, He is the priority. Then everybody else can be served in my life because I can take a place of, of submission. And then we get to this passage about marriage itself. So let me pick up here in verse 22 and read down through the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the Word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, given the fact that there's a whole lot of submitting and respecting and loving and dying in this passage, uh, bear with me for a moment and let's pray and ask God to make sure that He's the one teaching us this morning. Father, we thank You that even in uh, the morass of all of the cultural ideas that there are about marriage, that Your Word stands eternal and true that you have said that your word will never pass away, uh, but instead that it, it, because it's from you, we can trust that it's the truth. We can understand it because you're kind and you're loving, and I pray that your spirit would be with us today uh, with every heart, that we would hear from you 
Lord, exactly what, how it is that we need to apply this truth into our lives today. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let me give to you four ideas out of this passage. Uh, number one, marriage needs a new perspective. Now, marriage needs a new perspective. Maybe I, I should say we need a new perspective about marriage. Uh, but I think that for all of us, whether you are married or you hope to be married or you used to be married, but all of us know somebody who's married that we can encourage in their covenant relationship of marriage, marriage needs a new perspective. Because oftentimes we picture marriage as this is the thing that's going to make me or slash us happy. Uh, marriage is going to make me happy. Marriage is going to make us happy. I'm going to be fulfilled when I'm married. Because I'm married, there's somebody in my life who's going to take care of me, who's going to meet my needs. Because I've got this person in my life, I'm going to be able to care for them and do well for them. And those are all true statements. Uh, those are all pretty, I mean, that's all within the reality. But I want to hand to you the idea that marriage needs new perspective because though, none of those things that I just stated, though they all may be true, none of them are priority. None of them are the top of the heap. Marriage instead needs to be seen as a relationship that is one of constant reconciliation. That's what marriage is really about. Marriage is a relationship of constant reconciliation. Why? Because we are broken people because we mess up, because we get in the way of ourselves, because we trip over our own feet, because we are people who are constantly in need of grace and mercy. If you're married, you know that there is an inevitability of conflict. It is not, will we have conflict? It's, will we have conflict now or later? All right, that conflict is going to happen inside of a marriage relationship. And so you're making a spiritual commitment to this other human being that you're going to live in a constant state of reconciliation with them. Now, the reason for this is because mar marriage mirrors salvation, and reconciliation is at the core of our salvation. It assumes a partnership where there is somebody who has been offended but is forgiving. Marriage begins as this covenant decision that you want to work through life with this other person. You want to walk through life with this other person. And it has this promise of intimacy, and it involves all this reconciliation all the time, and it requires a confessional and a repentant spirit, and it allows for forgiveness and mercy to be ever-present. I mean, that looks very much like the salvation that we have inherited through Jesus and the work that he has done. And to get right down to it, it is an earthly example of an eternal reality. This is part of the reason why marriage needs a new perspective is because your marriage is not just yours. It is not something that just you and your spouse own because you had a preacher sign a legal document that was submitted to the local courthouse. But rather, your marriage is something that is a portrait of an eternal reality. And if all we think about marriage is just something that we do on this earth for a few decades of our living life, then you're going to miss the beauty of what marriage is really all about. 
your marriage. Now, not just marriage, okay, or if I can speak to young adults for a minute and and people that are not married, but that you're going to get married, you think, one of these days. So your future marriage, but your marriage in particular, personal. Your marriage holds the high honor of portraying Christ's work of salvation on behalf of every member of the church throughout all of human history, past, present, and future. Your marriage does. Not just marriage as an institution. Our marriages are supposed to reflect Christ and the church. It is a reflection of divine reconciliation. And so that's why we need a new perspective, that marriage is not just about who's going to balance the checkbook, and who's going to do the grocery shopping, and who's going to trim the shrubbery, and who's going to do what today, and who's going to work, and who's going to stay home, and who's going to manage, and who is going to lead, and who's going to follow. Marriage is about this eternal reality that we are portraying here on the earth. Now, think about how your marriage might change, and you might lean in to try to make it more healthy If you began walking around with that perspective that my marriage is a reflection of the divine reality of Christ and His church, to use your marriage missionally in the world for the betterment of people that don't know Christ yet, rather than just being consumed about who's going to decide where we're going to go to lunch today. And so, marriage needs a new perspective. Secondly, let me talk about submission and leadership. This is this really prickly subject that people get all up in arms about because it uses this language that sometimes we don't like in our modern day about wives. It says there in verse 22, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this, and let me say from the very outset, this is not, it was not then, it is not now, nor will it ever be some kind of blank check for you as guys to be jerks to your wives. That is not the case. If you find yourself in a position as a guy that you think it's okay to slap your wife around or to yell at her or belittle her, that has nothing to do with this. That has nothing to do with this. That's, we, we have a word in church for that. It's sin, and we want you to stop it, and we want to help you repent of it. So this whole idea of wives submitting to the leadership of their husband has nothing to do with kind of the abusive relationship that some guys think that that means. I get to tell my wife what to do, and she has to go do it. But instead, let me say that submission from a biblical kind of understanding is allowing your husband to lead. Uh, Submission is not something that a husband forces upon his wife. Submission is something that a wife allows for her husband to have space in her life to do. This is the place where the wife is saying, I am allowing you to lead this family. I am going to watch the example of Christ in the life of my husband. I'm going to watch as he grows in his faith. I'm going to watch as he chases after the mission of God and as he submits to the kingdom of God, and I'm going to follow him because he's leading me in a healthy way. And when a wife submits, it allows for spiritual leadership to guide the family. But again, This is set up earlier with this idea of mutual submission. We all submit to one another in the fear of Christ, that He is the head of everything. 
And when we dig in our heels as families and we say, well, I'm not submitting, well, I'm not submitting, well, I'm not giving up territory, well, I'm not giving up territory, well, I'm going to be in charge, well, I'm also going to be in charge. There's a military term for that. It's called mutually assured destruction. All right, that's when every country in the world has enough nuclear bombs to destroy everybody all at once. And we've got to get out of this mode of the mutually assured destruction of each other and decide instead that submission is a healthy and a good thing in the sight of God. But there is only, there's only godly submission when there's godly leadership. And guys, this kind of leadership is moving your wife onto God's agenda. Now, some of you might be familiar with the, uh, the old Bible study that's been around for a long time called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership from which I have lifted this idea that he says spiritual leadership is moving God's people onto God's agenda. And I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great simple definition of leadership. And so I borrowed from Henry that this is what leadership looks like and should look like for guys leading their families, leading specifically their wives. This leadership, does it get down into the weeds about are we going to buy this house, that car? Are we going to spend money here? Where, how are we going to raise the kids? And I mean, does it mean that the guy is leading in all of those logistical kind of mechanical kind of ways in marriage? Absolutely. But again, I want you to lift your eyes up to a much higher level. That guys, if we're going to lead our wives well, and we're going to ask them to submit to our leadership in the family, then we ought to be resting assured, and they should be able to rest assured, that we're going to move them onto God's agenda. So guys, young guys in the room, guys that want to get married one of these days, and guys that are married, all right, so a bunch of the guys, this is what leadership ought to look like in your life. Not, it's not you deciding all of these mechanical kind of things that are going to happen in your house and what color we're going to paint the walls and what kind of car are we going to get and, and when are we going to, what movie are we going to go see and which restaurant are we going to pick today. I mean, those are the low-level issues of life. This is the big deal. Are you going to lead your wife onto the agenda of God for his mission in the world and his mission specifically for you as a couple. When husbands lead, it should guide the family toward faithfulness in Christ. And, and there is no way around this. In this passage, the command is put squarely on the shoulders of husbands that you should spiritually protect your wife like your life is on the line. This is how we are supposed to see life. This is the lens through which we're supposed to look, that this is my responsibility to spiritually protect the life of my wife and the life of this family. Spouses, both of you, are given this serious and joyful responsibility of caring for one another's souls. This is what we do. I mean, we do so much stuff as married couples. I mean, we look after the finances. We try to figure out what will make the other person happy. 
Uh, you know, we try to guess, you know, what is it that you want for dinner tonight so I can fix the right thing. We try to make sure that the, 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 the to-do list is done around the house so that the other person is not frustrated by these things. We try to run interference when the kids are really, really small so that the other person can get a little bit of a break, get a nap every once in a while. And again, all of those things are part and parcel to living life in the real world. But there's a point at which we have to, again, lift our eyes to the bigger issue. That the spouses, when you enter into this covenant relationship with this other human being, you are promising that you're going to care for the goodness of their soul. Uh, Your spiritual life should be enhanced and encouraged by one another. It, It should not be the tearing down so that I can be in charge, but instead that you're looking for every opportunity to encourage another person's spiritual development. A third thing that I want you to think about when it comes to marriage, the first was marriage needs a new perspective. Secondly, the ideas of submission and leadership are these two sides of the same coin of the relationship. But thirdly, is Christ-like love and sacrifice. The submission and the leadership are not going to be there. The new perspective on marriage is not going to exist unless you commit to Christ-like love and sacrifice inside of the life of a marriage. The leadership and the sacrifice specifically by the husband is to give an earthly example of the work of Jesus. I mean, look at this again. He says, husband's there in verse 23, you're the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church, the savior of the body. The church submits to Christ. That's why wives submit to their husbands. There in verse 25, love your wives, he says to husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands are to love their their wives as their own bodies. It is this this whole sacrificial system that, that husbands are to set themselves into the middle of, and sacrifice is allowing somebody else to have the priority. That's what sacrifice is. It's allowing someone else to have priority. Because when Christ sacrifices himself on the cross of Calvary, he is allowing your spiritual interest to have priority over his physical life. He is allowing your need for forgiveness and our need for redemption to have priority in that moment so that the Son of God, the eternal member of the Trinity, is willing to die a torturous human death with the wrath of God poured out on him. And so, husbands, we need to have that kind of Christ-like love in our marriages so that we can be a living portrait of Jesus' work for the church because he gave himself for her, because he makes her holy with his word, because he presents her in splendor without blemish, because your marriage is this earthly portrait of this eternal reality. And so, guys, if you find yourself in a position where you think, but I thought marriage was all about the promise of intimacy. I thought marriage was all about her meeting my needs and making me happy. I thought that I was going to get a cook and a housemaid and somebody to raise my kids out of this deal. Then you need to rewind the tape, 
Go back to your marriage vows and remember that you made some promises that you are going to love and support her and keep her and cherish her. You need to go back to a passage like Ephesians that calls for you to die for her. You see, a healthy marriage is a witness of the gospel. That's what a healthy marriage does. A healthy marriage should not just be so that everybody will be impressed by how cute y'all are. You know, that you're the local Ken and Barbie doll. That's that's not what the reputation of a healthy marriage should be. That That this is a couple who have become financially successful and that they are financially secure and that they can do any kind of vacationing that they want and and what a great reputation you have. But rather, a healthy marriage should be constantly pointing toward how great Christ is. That, that is, that, those are two people that when I look at them, what I see is Christ. What I see is the, is the witness of the gospel. That I, I want to know, like, why is your marriage like your marriage? So that a husband and wife can say, well, let us tell you why we have the marriage that we have. We have this kind of marriage because we've prioritized Christ. Because we've decided that our lives are about a witness of the gospel. Because we live in constant reconciliation with one another. Because Christ is constantly reconciling humanity to himself. It's this Christ-like love and sacrifice. Which leads me to the, the final point. And that is, marriage is about a life long commitment. And oftentimes, this is a place in a, in a, in a pastor's sermon where it, it can be uncomfortable sometimes in the congregation because you're like, well, and I know the question because it's been pitched to me in, in lots of times over my ministry. Well, pastor, what if I've already messed that one up? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you feel like this is already a thing that you've already, that your life is already buckled here, then the commitment that you're in Make it last for a lifetime. The commitment, the marriage commitment that you have right now, live with integrity with it for the rest of your life. The marriage commitment that you've made to that spouse that is in that house with you day by day, then absolutely portray the gospel to that person every day for the rest of your life. This is why it's really, really important that we get this, though, that this is a lifelong commitment. He says there in verse 31, for this reason, he's quoting the Old Testament, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This one flesh principle is not something that is just about the sexual intimacy that a husband and wife have. It certainly has something to do with that, but it goes far beyond just a physical act that a man and a woman have together. But rather, you have joined your lives together. You have covenanted together. You have made promises to one another about faithfulness to each other. And this covenant inherent to the promise is that you're going to care for one another. You're leaving another family behind and you are clinging to one another. This is an incredibly strong kind of idea where he says you're going to leave your father and mother and you're going to be joined to your wife, that the two of you are going to be one. You have made this commitment that you are in this thing for life together. The basic form of love is that you are here for the betterment of your spouse's life. It is not, I mean, it starts out 
with you know life feeling like you're everywhere you turn it's just rainbows and fairies and unicorns and daisies and it's just beautiful sunsets and sunrises all the time and then you've got that that love has got to grow up it has to grow up past that you know kind of puppy dog phase of just that infatuation uh, of just like uh, of just constantly you know in a in an emotional fervor about everything and it matures to where you begin to understand that love is, love is not going to always be rainbows and daisies. And there are going to be these storm clouds that are going to roll through your life. There's going to be horrific circumstances that you're going to have to wade through deep waters with one another. And this lifelong commitment of love means that I'm going to wade through all of the muck of life with this person because I want them to be formed to imitate Jesus, because I want Christ to be alive in them, because I want the Spirit of the living God to absolutely fill this person and give them hope and joy even in the midst of the hard times. And when we're in the beautiful moments of life, I want the Spirit of the living God to magnify Himself and to glorify Himself through this person whom I love. The marriage covenant is to serve my spouse in the journey of faithfulness to Christ and in pursuit of His mission. It is this decision that we're going to journey together through life, and life ain't easy, but we're going to be faithful to the Lord through all of it so that He can get the glory, and we're going to be on mission together for the Lord so that lots of other peoples can come to know Him. Like all things, marriage serves the same purposes of everything else. Marriage is for the glory of God, and marriage is for the mission of God. Marriage serves as a purpose in order to encourage your faithfulness to Christ and your walk with Christ, and marriage serves as an example so that other people know what faithfulness to Christ looks like and can understand the gospel. That's why I want to encourage you today that you make sure that you get a new perspective if you need it about marriage. Because like everything else in this world, it points toward a dying and a resurrected Savior. It, it points toward a sacrifice that covers your sins. It, it points toward our need of redemption because we're broken and we're selfish and we're rebellious but that Christ steps in to the, into the frame of our life in order to fix it if we will put faith in Him. That's the beauty of what marriage can be in this world, is that it can be a living portrait of the eternal reality of the good news of Jesus Christ, that He died in our place for our sins, and that He rose again from the dead in order to provide redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness. And if you don't have that today, long before you think about marriage, think about Jesus. And if you are married today or you've been married, maybe your spouse has been gone for a long time and you lost him or her to death's bonds, this would be a time for you to reflect back and to, to thank the Lord for the way that He grew up your faith while you were married. If you're somebody who wants to be married one of these days, this is the time for you to make sure that you've set your face right toward looking toward Calvary, looking toward Christ as to what the example of marriage ought to be in your life. And wherever it is that we find ourselves in this, in this equation of marriage, it is one more way for the church, for believers, to say, here is Christ, look at Him. And so as we take a minute 
to respond to what Christ is doing in us through His Word, I want to encourage you to do a few things this morning. One, this is as every Sunday when we worship, this is the moment for you to assess, like, where is my relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't, then we want to be able to sit down with you, explain what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ where He has forgiven you of your sins and He has given you everlasting life, where you now have a relationship with the living God that we all need in order to have salvation. Secondly, though, maybe your marriage is at a place where you just know, hey, this would be a really good day for us just to kind of lean in and pray together and just make sure that we're tracking along with what Christ is doing. I would encourage you to take your spouse by the hand, and if you want to just sit right back down where you are, and we're going to stand up in just a second, or you want to come here to the altar. Coming here to the altar does not mean that we all think that you're broken, all right? Coming to the altar means, oh, there's two people that just want to pray together, That's what, and we're going to celebrate that. We're going to be glad that you've done that. And so maybe there is just a moment that you just want to get down on your knees at an altar and just pray together with your spouse and just recommit, this is what we're doing with our marriage. Or maybe there's lots of other decisions that have been rumbling around in your heart, whether you're one of the students that have been off at camp this week or whether you're a, a first-time guest and you say, well, you know, there is something that I need to do. I need to join the church or I need to be baptized or I need to talk to somebody about this need in my life that I, I need to pray about and I would like a pastor or a mature believer to, to pray with me. Well, we want to be able to do that with you. So let me lead us in a, just a, a moment of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to have some music that will encourage you uh, to make a decision this morning uh, so that Christ can have His priority place in your life. Let's pray together.